The way we power the world is changing, and you can help lead that change with Chevron Renewable Energy Group's EnduraFuels, a complete line of high-quality bio-based diesel solutions for fleet, marine, and rail that enables reduced carbon intensity and improved engine performance, all while helping you work towards profitability targets. Join us as we lead the way toward a lower carbon future now. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Net Zero Carbon, the show at Freight Waves, where we deep dive on decarbonization, typically looking through a lens of freight, fuels, and energy. Today, I've got the privilege of shifting that a little bit and talking to Ben Joldersmith, the CEO of Upshift.eco. Ben, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's a great, beautiful spring day, and I always enjoy geeking out on the nerdy, uh, you know, means of funneling capital to decarbonization initiatives of freight. So this is going to be a fun conversation where we get to do just that. And that's why I say this episode's a little bit different. We're not looking at a specific hard tech or a specific solution. We're actually trying to, to understand the lay of the land of who is impacted when we're talking about decarbonization, specifically maybe with road freight. And I think to set the stage for this conversation, let's go back a little bit. So you and I met, uh, you were recently an engineer at Convoy for a while. And we met over some initiatives we were working on there on uh, decarbonization and connecting shippers and carriers and figuring out low carbon solutions. Um, maybe let's start with that kind of origin story. How did you stumble upon a problem? How did you get involved with Convoy? Uh, do you remember what we were working on when you and I were together? I yeah, yeah, I do absolutely. Um, yeah, I uh, you know prior to Convoy, I'd been a software engineer working on like digital communities for most of my career. Um, sort of software, digital advertising, publishing, uh, kind of like really building platforms to to scale the operations of small businesses um, in the, the publishing side of things. I'd also gone into some climate activism work on the side. And so Convoy was kind of a chance for me to blend, you know, sort of a day job of being a software engineer with the climate focus um, in, in a new area of work, which is, you know, supply chain and logistics, which was, you know, an area that was very interesting to me. Uh, I kind of fell in love with it while I was at Convoy. Uh, but yeah, I, when, when we were at Convoy, I, we looked at the, the options that brokers like Convoy have to reduce carbon emissions and, you know, the, the, the primary strategy that Convoy has today is to reduce up to miles through network, network organization and batching, which is good, but, uh, we also wanted to see if we could do more than that. So that was kind of like the problem that we started with and, and, and the leadership of Convoy gave us a good, good year or so to kind of really dig into that, um, in a very open-ended way. Just like what are the what are the levers that a company like Convoy has at its you know disposal to really reduce emissions? And we looked at a variety of things. We looked at you know shifting freight over to trains because you know intermodal approaches are just are have a good efficiency profiles in comparison to to um, to trucks. We looked at better network optimization, like what's the second generation of network optimization look like? Um, we looked at electrification and zero emission trucks, as you kind of know, those are, you know, great, super exciting, but also we're, we're kind of at the early days of, of that technology. And, um, and then just kind of like what we do with current technology, like, you know, like current, current, you know, diesel technology. Um, so that was kind of how I think we kind of got involved. Me and you got connected was because I, um, I, you know, one of our, one of the advisors on that project 
was trying to find ways to kind of like bring the supply or like, like the, um, the demand side, the shippers into the equation. And there are these mechanisms, these market-based mechanisms that are coming out right now, sort of related versions of insets. And we had talked about that, I think, in Danny Gomez as well. Uh, I think Danny made the intro. So. I'm sure Danny was at the middle of it. Shout out to Danny <laughs> if he's listening to this episode. I'm sure he is. Uh, yeah, now I remember that too. We had a, I remember you guys did a, like a, a moonshot, like what's the tech uh, sprint weekend that they do where it's like just all in a deck for a week or a moonshot week. Yeah. Uh, and that was a really fun conversation. And we had previously worked with Convoy too when I was at Fairwaves, uh, full time working on the software side of just emissions calculations, measurement. Like, how do we improve that? How do we get better data? How do we get better access to that data? How do we make sure it's being represented properly so we can compare apples and oranges to different carriers? Um, and you got number convoy definitely is still leading in that area. And there's a handful of other companies that are trying to push that forward. Um, mm-hmm. where I think it's really interesting. I've always, um, thought market-based mechanisms were a unique opportunity to inset change in an industry, right? And if you want someone to change their behavior, let's start with paying them to try, try something differently. Um, and that's, seems like what you've hooked onto. So why don't we say, uh, let's take a minute here and, and dig into upshift and kind of what you're doing. And then we can flesh out that whole concept of market-based mechanisms a little bit further. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, uh, you know, up, Upshift kind of grew out of that work at Convoy and really kind of recognizing as we went deeper and deeper into this problem space that it kind of makes sense to do this as a public benefit corporation with a kind of like a, a kind of dedicated um, focus around decarbonization and doing so in a way that really is like supports these smaller carriers. Uh, you know, the thing about these small carriers is that they, you know, there's a distribution of trucks. If you imagine like a, like a normal distribution, the large asset carriers are going to have the newest trucks. They're going to get, you know, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. I mean, I see people getting up to nine miles per gallon, you know, on the, on the road with real loads. Uh, then the U S average is 6.24, give or take. Uh, so, so that means that there is a lot of carriers out there who are getting four and a half, five miles per gallon. Um, and, and, and these carriers aren't in a position to, to basically, uh, capitalize the kinds of high quality modern equipment that can, that could, could that could grow their in fuel efficiency by, you know, 50% or more. Uh, so we kind of really look at this as, yeah, you know, these large asset carriers have the benefit of like longer contracted cycles of freight that they can use to sort of justify the purchases of this equipment, which kind of, you know, provides a, creates a, a competitive advantage for these carriers. Um, and so we looked at these, these sort of green premiums that shippers can pay in to, to like the long tail of carriers as kind of like a, um, an, like an, like an equalizer, if you will, where, and really in a way that like ultimately benefits shippers, brokers, carriers really like strengthens the whole supply chain as a whole, uh, you know, top to bottom by giving these carriers, uh, this like long-term pricing certainty they can use to go out and buy, buy newer trucks. It is doing that alone. I mean, if, if we just get these small carriers into new trucks right now, we don't need to wait for any new technology to emerge. We can reduce, you know, tens of millions of tons of CO2 every year um, just by, just by like providing best practices to everybody in the, in the industry. It's an important initiative and clearly something that people should not forget. Like if you're a casual listener and you drive the car on an interstate here in the U.S., you know that there's a huge discrepancy between some trucks that look nice and new and brand new and clean and some that do not. And a lot of times that is a larger fleet that's well capitalized, as you said, that has a better um, opportunity to buy newer trucks and 
break those costs out over time and have like a, an equipment replacement cycle, right? They've got a structure in place to do that. Where a lot of these smaller carriers are one to five trucks. They can turn up or down depending on what the market's doing. If construction is booming, maybe they're not driving at all. Maybe they park that truck. And so there's there's kind of this like, um, not apathy, but lethargy kind of to the space where this model is entrenched. And and it's kind of just the way freight, trucking freight especially here works in the US, right? And at Freeways, we talk a lot about capacity and look at, you know, carriers coming in and out of the fleet based on what the market's doing. And in many cases, we're talking about this long tail and how they can make ends meet. And so when we when we talk about the green premium, that's clearly the category of supply that is least available or ready or capitalized to start doing some of these things. And and you mentioned a few, and I think we should dig into a few more of those opportunities they have because it it is new trucks probably are the the fastest way to ramp up fuel efficiency. Um, they're also probably the most expensive way and maybe in least supply, depending on where supply chains are at now and kind of building these new models. Um, what are some other ways that we can look at getting, um, whether it's retrofits or um, aerodynamics or other other tools to these carriers to make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. So NACFI, uh, North American Council on Freight Efficiency, has has compiled an incredible list of 86 or so uh, current current existing available technologies and processes, and they range from you know upgrading your 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 power unit that's the most expensive one as you mentioned to adding aerodynamics to fairings, uh, you know gap reducers, uh, lifted axles. So there's, a, there's a whole variety of of techniques that can be done, um, all, you know, modifications to the trucks. And then there's, there's operational changes, adding a driver incentive program. So the drivers get you know, some sort of cash compensation if, if they drive more efficiently, which is in a way well, this is a, this is a version that is applied from, you know, for shippers to, to, uh, to, to, to carriers is a, it's sort of a version of this, but also at training programs, um, there's, there's uh what is it? Uh, um, convoys, the, the, you know, having the, the trucks follow each other to get the the drafting, keep you know benefits. There's um, there's just a long list. I mean, there's uh, HVACs, EVUs, you know, things for idling technologies. They've they've, they've broken them down. But the thing that's challenging about NACFI's data set, um, they've done an amazing amazing job of compiling this work, but they don't have it tied into like a real time sort of data set of the telemetry that, that we get from the trucks. So it's hard to actually how like we. we something that's missing in the industry right now is like a really discrete, uh, objective, quantifiable view of like, if I get this activity or this, if I buy this add-on for my truck or if I enroll my drivers in this program, it's hard to know for these carriers, you know, how that will impact their, the bottom line of their business. I mean, that's something that we want to help with. So I think that through this, pro- that Upshift program of, you know, the way that this, that, that our, our platform works is, we find these small carriers with, with you know, with these less efficient operations, uh, work with them to improve the, the performance and operating efficiency of their business and finance and monetize those, you know, that effort by, by this green premium with shippers and doing it in a way that sort of decouples so that, you know, the shippers don't have to have like guarantee of delivery of their goods by these, by these carriers. But in the process of doing this sort of like three-part platform, we will, Upstairs, we'll, we'll start to build up a, a data set of all the activity that these carriers are doing, um, and and start to be able to really do like a deep, you know, machine learning, AI sort of optimization of the uh, of the different conditions. Like if you're in 
a, a carrier in North Dakota versus in Florida, if you're driving, um, you know, overnight hauls or regional or so, you know, you know, if you're doing drayage or sh- short hauls, or if you're, um, if you're idling, if you're doing team driving scenarios, there's all these different factors and, and data points that, you know, if you have enough data and you're looking at it together, you, you know, you're compiling from ELDs as well as like information about the, what the cares are doing to actually improve their efficiencies. Um, you can really start to like paint this bigger picture that we can use to sort of give back to the industry to recognize, um, to help, these small carriers like know what kind of choices they should make going forward. Yeah. The data in and of itself could be just as valuable as the actual equipment and the fuel that we're talking about. Cause there's so much to learn there from these older trucks that don't have a lot of that. It's part of the idea. Um, if I was going to sum this up, right, let me take a step back. So macro climate's problem transports, a big piece of the problem within transport. We've got this long tail of 25%, something like right three to 5% of total emissions from long tail truckload freight here in the U S is probably somewhere around there. They're not well capitalized. Shippers want to reduce emissions. Shippers pay for the freight. Shippers could pay for some of the emission reduction activities. How do we create a model that bundles all that together and can deliver it? And it sounds like if the shipper is willing to do it and the carrier is willing to invest, we can then capture the data and prove that the reduction is happening. And then all of the you know benefits and the attributes kind of flow to the parties accordingly. And there's a couple Not fair to, to absolutely. Memorize that. That's a great summary, Tyler. There's a couple of key points here I want to make. One is that if we do this in-setting model, you know, where where these shippers are making these investments in their own supply chain, that this this counts as in, in a really critical bucket in their carbon accounting models because uh, today, you know, what what we found in our in our research over the last year or so is the shippers. I feel like 2022 was a year of shippers finding out that they can't they can't use offsets that they can't offset their way out of their problem. And we talked to shippers who said that, you know, offset was like a dirty word. Like don't even, don't even mention the word offset because they got burned so bad. You know, they made these ambitious net zero will, you know, climate commitments and, you know, for the last several years. And they've been planning on buying acreage of rainforest and just, you know, in, in South America to kind of get their way out of the problem. And they've sort of recently found out that these things are low quality, it's hard conditionality, challenges. Uh, so they're looking for solutions that allow them to reduce their you know, there's scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, not like the reserved hardest to abate sector of emissions, which is about 10%, which is what else are, you know, high quality offsets are valid for. So, so these shippers, the fact that we can do an inset where we're actually like can make a really strong argument that if you make these investments over time, you will really reduce dramatically the emissions in your own supply chain. Um, so I think that's, that's point one that's important to make is that you know, these shippers get in exchange for that, for that investment, they get a very valuable, you know, a carbon credit, which, which, which fits into their scope three, which is the most challenging piece of their emissions. Second piece I want to make, important point I, I, I want to make is that these shippers, uh, you know, the, so there is a premium, there's a fee structure in place, but by making these long-term investments in these small carriers, ultimately what we're talking about is, you know, really there's so much potential for reducing cost in this part of the supply chain that, that the, uh, by making these long-term, you know, commitments to pay, you know, the, the, the cost of capitalizing equipment does, re- you know, over time, you know, there, there are dramatic re- reductions in fuel prices, which would really add up. So, so, you know, in the long run, I think the ships are really strengthening their own supply network by, by making these investments. Up front. Start working towards your lower carbon goals today with Chevron Renewable Energy Group's Endura Fuels, a complete line of quality renewable fuel solutions available now. To learn more, visit regi.com.
I don't know, trailer tails or skirts on a track. I mean, those are like wildly different abatement measures. Um, have you pulled the audience yet? Like what are shippers and these small fleets interested in? Is a small carrier like asking for someone to help them get into a brand new truck or do they want someone to like slap some, you know, tails on their trailer? Yeah. So what I, what we found a couple points here, um, you know, small carriers love the idea of getting new trucks. You know, I think it's one surprising piece of data that happened in our research that we found consistently was, uh, is that for recruiting and retention for drivers, you know, I mean, drivers spend their last so much of their time in these trucks and if they're driving around and, you know, and spending the night in trucks that are six, seven, eight, ten 10 years old. Um, it's just not as enjoyable of a lifestyle as it is like the newer trucks have better amenities, uh, you know, better access to power, better, better heating, uh, they can use their devices more easily, more reliably. So, so that I think was a, was one surprising piece. The kid, the small carriers that we talked to, also consistently, you know, expressed a strong interest in leasing over owning, which was also a bit of a surprise for me. I, I, I couldn't have that, that, that this in my in, in my mind. This idea of like the American dream is you know being your own business person and owning your own truck and being on the open road. Uh, but in truth, I think that like these small carriers are they're savvy. They understand how fast these trucks are changing, and um, you know they know that. Trucks that come out in 2025 or 2027 are also going to have like these like whole different level of efficiencies. And so, so, so leasing was something that I found, um, something that they're very keen on. And so it was the Ravens is a huge piece of that too, right? Having the ability to ha- yeah. have it's options to, to help them when they're on the road and then have something go wrong. Yep. It's huge. I mean, cause you know, that, that it creates a more predictable way to run your business. Uh, so that I think was one piece. I'm um, just knowing that, that they're, but they're very interested in getting new trucks. That's something that that seems overwhelmingly to be consistent. I think they're also game to just learn. These guys tend to be, and, and women tend to learn, very savvy. That they're they're following the blogs, they're reading the forums, they're looking for all the techniques of the hand uh, to improve their businesses. So hopefully they're looking to this. It's it's a lot of work. It's challenging to roll people up, but like you know, but but if you can create those tool sets, I think that you know there's this can be a willing audience on the shipper side. We have to, we see interest. We see, um, you know, there, there, there's market research that shows that shippers would pay like a five to 10% premium on, 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 on costs for, a, you know, if they can show, if, if they're, if it can be shown over time to really, um, materially reduce emissions. Uh, that's for like front runners for, you know, more sustainably oriented shippers. Uh, I think it is, it is a challenge to prove to, to, to shippers to pay for this. But, you know, I think that we can also make the case that, if they just increase their compliance pieces as well, um, you know, the, the stick really does work in this condition as when we, you know, I, in this sort of environment, uh, because I think that will be just, you know, if, if, if the shippers do a combination of, you know, a green premium, but also mandating, you know, that, that, that their partners really do increase their sustainability. You know, when you look at this longer tail going to the brokerage, they're, they're going to need a program like this to help, just like tie all those pieces together because it's, it's such a fragmented ecosystem right now. Um, you know, it's a challenging ecosystem for shippers. And when you try to engage, especially with the long tail, I mean, that's almost impossible for most shippers <clears throat> to be able to reach down to a truck level and know exactly which driver, which van, which truck. Unless you own the asset, it's going to be really difficult. And most people are content to, you know, streamline their operations and have a small subset of, you know, common carriers, 50, 100, however big that number needs to be to, uh, let them um, efficiently manage their transportation operations is the number that they'll go with. And then the convoys of the world, y'all deal with the rest of the guys who fill in those important gaps in the supply chain, um, but are just too difficult to manage if you had thousands of suppliers. So 
we see this as like a really like a as a collision coming down the down the pike here. Um, and we've talked to large carriers and you know medium sized carriers who who really recognize the benefit of a program like this because they don't want to go and run those loads to you know deep inland routes or whatever. They you know these these larger carriers are optimizing for their their fixed lanes and they're making you know they're building a profitable business doing it. Um, but in order to service and meet, meet the demands of their of their other customers, they are you know going out and um, and, uh, and and taking on the, these runs that are less desirable. And shippers are doing it because they have to have these guarantees. You know, the the green shippers are doing this because they know that they have to give this kind of like you know these larger carriers to make those attestations. So this is, I think, what um, you know really I think gets into the crux of what's going on here is that we see this as like a it's not quite an existential threat to small carriers because they're always going to be fulfilling this vital role in the ecosystem. But there is like this grim reality where, you know, carry, you know, shippers preferencing larger carriers because they can, they can make better guarantees about sustainability kind of does create this like reinforcing loop where these small carriers are just going to kind of get pushed into like a darker, more challenging part of the industry. Uh, that's what I think we're really trying to, trying to cut trying to work yeah it's funny the e kind of le- bleeds into the s there right it, it really is an environmental problem but structurally within this industry it becomes a social forum because you've got a huge amount of people that rely on this type of work that are going to be really really challenged more so than they even are now uh to keep up as the you know ambition gets higher and higher and higher and people try to meet these lofty goals it's hard it's really hard i'm happy you're focusing on this i and i think it's something that you know, you look at these small carriers. I mean, this is Guzman Convoy stories that you know they're the the strength of these small carriers is this elasticity. I mean, these guys can can can, can turn around on a dime, and you know, four, eight, twelve hours they can be on the road and going to, to a pickup or a drop off. Um, so I think, you know, I think that like if you look at there's so much happening in this like carrier virtualization space right now. You've got you know cloud trucks, you got AI fleets, you got you know so many companies starting up like factoring and finance products, and there's just I think what's happening is a really interesting time right now where if 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 all the pieces go one direction, you'll have a really vibrant ecosystem where small businesses can really thrive and prosper in America as as, as truck drivers. And and there's a there's there's a whole set of like tools coming in place and we want to be one of those as well. They're, they're gonna help these people get their jobs done. Um you know, but if we can't meet this this sustainability piece of that of that puzzle. Uh, they're going to kind of be like kept in one corner of, of this industry as these like demands, expectations, and requirements and needs to hit these these net zero targets increase. That I think, you know, to me, it's it's like there is a there's a social there's a social governance piece of this. There is a there, there's an element of this that is about like trying to address what seems like social inequity. But there's also this very real aspect of we're talking about uh, mobilizing this super hardworking workforce that can respond, you know, to a super fast, super, super agile way to shippers needs. And I think we can actually really like give the the larger carriers a big run for their money in the best of ways. That way that really is about like the the spirit of competition. That competition that, you know, rising tide helps everybody. Mm -hmm. Like so. Yeah. That's awesome. We're getting super close on time. We could probably spend four more hours talking about methodologies and financing and figuring out how to do this. Uh, maybe we'll do that offline after this. But for the sake of our, our show and our listeners, I always ask every guest that comes on the show an important question because I want to know, 
when you wake up in the morning and you decide to go to work at Upshift, focusing on reducing emissions and freight for the long tail, why do you do that? Why is it important? Yeah, I think for me, it's the the underlying thesis here, the theory of change that I'm operating from, you know, that really got me just connected to this where I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from it. I couldn't, you know, I had to leave Convoy and make my own business is that this, 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 this reality that there is this connection, this fundamental connection between climate change and social inequity. And that, you know, you, you look at like people with, you know, with, with, with lower than average incomes in the U S not being able to, 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 you know, insulate their houses in the same way or to get a heat pump. You know, there's just so many examples or, or they're, they're being pushed out of big cities because increasing housing prices. So now they're forced to drive their cars in, which creates another pollution source. Um, you know, these are, I, I, I'm so interested in finding these examples of this overlap between, uh, between social justice and social equity and, and, and climate. And that really is the thing that, um, you know, that I find just, you know, I mean, I guess I'm, I, I, it's not, it's not even waking up in the morning. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it keeps me up in the middle of the night, you know, um, how, just, and, and what an opportunity. I mean, the fact if we can, if we can help shippers, you know, recognize that they, you know, the, the role they can have to create this more like sustainable, healthy ecosystem from top to bottom, it's just, everyone wins. I mean, it'll be cheaper for us to go to the grocery store to get our goods. If, if the whole industry can reduce, you know, fuel consumption by 25 or 30%, right. It just be, it'll be a massive benefit for everyone. Amen. I'm glad you picked such a hard problem to focus on and solve because it's an important one. Uh, and I'm excited to see what comes out of the work. Let's definitely stay in touch and have you back on the episode uh, later in the year and talk about what's new. Thank, thank you, great, Tyler. Well, thanks so much. And uh, thanks for Frankways for all the work you guys do. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. Start working towards your lower carbon goals today with Chevron Renewable Energy Group's Endura Fuels, a complete line of quality renewable fuel solutions available now. To learn more, Visit regi.com. Trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.